0: So this morning we sang Holy, Holy, Holy. Um, It seems like many weeks we'll sing about God's holiness in some form or another. And the Lord is holy. But holy is one of those words, like grace or hallelujah, that while it's absolutely appropriate, it's a word that can become so familiar to us that we can lose sight of why we say it. So it's good from time to time to ask ourselves, to ask our Bibles, why these words are so important. And we can learn a lot from asking the Bible why we say about God, he's holy. The first time we encounter the word holy in the Bible is on the seventh day of creation. Before there's any sin, before there's any transgression or problem between God and man, God takes one day, the seventh day, And he does something different with it than all the other days. He calls it holy. He separates it from the other days. And at its core, that tells us a lot about what that word holy means. It means separate. It means set apart. It means not like the rest. It means other than. Sacred is a word that we often use. And and that's good because they both speak to the same Greek word but but the idea in that word is it's special, it's unique, it's apart from the regular thing. But more than just apart from the regular thing, like a car is different than a bike, or a helicopter is different than a horse, holy means it's precious, it's special. It's to be honored, it's to be revered. And we see that more and more and more as the word of God unpacks that word holy. After the seventh day of creation, we don't encounter the word again until Exodus 3.5. Isn't that wild? From Genesis day seven, we have to wait until Exodus to encounter the word holy again. Exodus 3.5. And if I'm wrong about that, please correct me. But that's my best understanding of that word in particular in Hebrew. And is translated in Hebrew. It's the first encounter that Moses has with God at the burning bush. It's where we see that word. And there God says to Moses, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. The fundamentals of God's holiness are right here in these two passages. In Genesis 2 on the seventh day and in Exodus 3. God is holy. He's separate. He's infinitely unlike anything else. He's sacred. He is infinite creator. We are a creature. But his holiness is not limited to his status as creator, separate from creation. Even more serious for us, and we see this in Exodus 3 especially, his holiness becomes, in light of the fall, a function of, Not just of his godness and our creatureliness, but of his righteousness and his moral purity and our lack of those things. And so his holiness, his sacredness, his other than us takes on greater weight than God versus creation. And now it causes him to say to Moses, do not come near. That's what he says to Moses in that first encounter. Moses sees the burning bush and wants to move closer to understand what's going on with it. And God says to Moses, Stop. Don't come any closer. For the place on which you are standing is holy. Moses could not come as he was. for God was holy and Moses wasn't. God tells Moses to take off his shoes. Why? Because Moses no longer had any right, in light of God's holiness, to protect himself from the ground, sanctified by God's presence. So these shoes that were supposed to protect him from filth were, in a sense, not reasonable in light of God and God's presence, So God says, take your shoes off. This is holy ground now. See, in God's presence, Moses didn't need to protect himself from defilement. And neither do we. In God's presence, apart from Christ, we're the ones who bring defilement. We're the ones who who infringe upon holiness, who cannot come just as we are, We're the ones who bring the impurity. God is holy and in our selfishness and our lovelessness and our unfaithfulness to God and to one another, we are not holy as the Lord is holy. Habakkuk says in his complaint to God, you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Why are you tolerating all of this unholiness? You're the only holy one. Perhaps one of the starkest reminders of the holiness and sacredness of God and how that collides with the unholiness of man is the tragic story of Nadab and Abihu. And folks, I, I, I hope this isn't a distraction. I just keep sensing that I, I haven't prayed and I just feel burdened to pray. I haven't prayed over this message with you all. I've prayed uh, as I was preparing it, but I, I feel burdened to pray. So I'm sorry, it's a little bit awkward. Lord, I just do pray for your grace and your mercy to work now. Lord, you don't need my perfect message or my perfect homiletical approach. We need you and your love and your mercy to come draw near to us as we seek to draw near to you. Thank you for Jesus. Please help in his name. Amen. Perhaps one of the starkest reminders of the holiness and the sacredness of God and how that collides with the unholiness of man is the tragic story of Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus 10. These two men, Nadab and Abihu, were the sons of Moses' brother. They were Moses' nephews. They were the sons of Aaron, who was the the head of the priests of God. And under the covenant that God made with Israel, Aaron, Moses' brothers, and all his descendants were to be priests who were to offer sacrifices in the holiest place of the tabernacle, where God's very presence dwelt, and later the temple, you know of it as the Holy of Holies. They were to do this according to God's clear commands and God's clear regulations, which he gave them ahead of time. They were told specifically when and how to enter God's presence in the sealed center of the tabernacle, where God's holiness expressed itself physically in a cloud of glory. But Aaron's two sons, perhaps in the excitement of this new role, perhaps in foolish disregard, came before the presence of the Lord. Some people have hypothesized that maybe they were even not sober. I I, I don't. I don't know what it was that motivated them, but they came before the presence of the Lord to offer a sacrifice according to their own idea, according to their own plan, according to their own time, and according to their own manner. They didn't swear at God. They didn't try to destroy the temple. They didn't come to burn it down. They just came when they wanted, the way they wanted, in the manner they wanted, to offer an offering before the Lord. But it wasn't the way that God said to come to him. It wasn't his manner and his timing. And Leviticus 10 says this, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective firepans, and after putting fire in them, they placed incense on it, and they offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. Aaron's two boys were killed by God in a moment. And then Moses said to Aaron, it is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me I will be treated as holy. In the sight of all the peoples, I will be honored. So, the Israelites knew perhaps that day in a new way that God's holiness is not a thing to be trifled with. And everywhere in Scripture, we see over and over that we can only relate to this holy God on his terms and not ours. And though God wants a relationship with us, and he has sought reconciliation, that's what the whole Mosaic priesthood tabernacle regulations were saying. I want a relationship with you. I want to reconcile with you. I want to be your God and have you be my people. Throughout the Old Testament, there's this concomitant at the same time. There's this tension where where God, as he says to Moses, He makes himself something that Moses wants to approach, and he's obviously drawing Moses to approach him. But at some point, God says, "Don't come any closer. That's as far as you can come." And so you see, almost this—it's almost as if God is frustrated. I want to be in relationship with you, but this is this is complicated. This is difficult. We have to be very careful here. You recall that throughout the old covenant era, being in the very presence of God, and most of you know this, we talked about this months ago, being in the very closest presence of God was reserved, even though his physical expression had manifested itself at least permanently, to the people of Israel in the holy place, being in the presence of that manifestation, as close as you could conceivably get to God, in, in terms of a physical expression, it was reserved for one day of the year only. Otherwise, it was shut out to everyone. But on that one day, it was reserved for one person only. It was always shut out to everyone. Only the high priest could come to represent the people according to, again, these specific regulations detailing how he must wash and what he must wear. He would enter the room in the heart of the temple called the Holy of Holies before God's very presence. He would offer blood and sacrifice for the sins of the people. One day a year. One person for millions. The other 364 days of the year, the priest could could well understand That in a sense, God was saying, Do not come near, for I am holy. If you come near on those days, you will die. But today, (laughs) it's very, very different for you and me, brothers and sisters. Today, the news is much, much, much better for you and I, brothers and sisters. Today, when we lift up the bread and the juice as a symbol of the body and blood of our Lord, we proclaim his death. And we proclaim that through his death, God no longer says, do not come near. He no longer says, you can come, but only once a year. He no longer says, you can come, but only once a year and only through one person. Listen to what Hebrews 10 says. Brothers and sisters... And the the Greek there is brothers, but it's generic. For God's people inclusive, we have confidence. We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings. When Jesus comes to earth, he starts saying again and again, come to me. Follow me. Are you thirsty? Come to me and drink. Are you weary and heavy laden? Come. Take my yoke upon you. Whoever comes to me, I will by no means cast away. No longer is it stay back. Come only so close. No, it's come. It's come. And the word of God says to you all the time, each moment, draw near, not to the temple made with hands, but through the Holy Spirit to the real temple in heavenly places in which we dwell. In, in which God's spirit is always giving us access to. The word of God, in fact, tells us that we cannot draw any closer than Christ has already drawn himself to us. John 14, 20 says, I am in my father and you are in me and I am in you. I am in you. Romans 6 tells us that our spirits are united with his spirit. Our innermost place has become the dwelling place of the Most High. Each of you is now a holy of holies for the presence of God Almighty. And together as a church, we are the temple of God. Thousands of years of estrangement, of frustration, of come but stay back, it's over. It's over. What happened? The Lamb of God happened. The Lamb of God has been slain. His blood poured out for all of your sins. Remember these beautiful words of Hebrews 10, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins but when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for all time one sacrifice for sins he sat down at the right hand of God and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, for by one sacrifice he has perfected forever. He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. You have many sins and failures in your life. You have plenty of lovelessness and unfaithfulness in your life just like me, you will commit more acts of unfaithfulness and lovelessness and unholiness in your life. And Jesus' sacrifice is well sufficient to cover them all. You and I are great sinners, but he is a much greater savior than we are sinners. And with regard to your sin debt before God, the Lord says, you are perfect. My son has made it so. In fact, do you know what God calls you now? He calls you saint. I think that's the word I'm most familiar with. In the New Testament for the word that Paul calls the people he writes to saint I'm much more familiar with Paul calling them saints and Peter calling them saints than sinners though we are both but you're called saint do you know what saint means it comes from the Greek word hagias, which is the same word holy that's what God calls you now. Now he calls you holy. Look around this little room here, this little outdoor seating. Just look around for a moment. You're sitting with holy ones, holy ones of God. You're surrounded by holy ones right now. And do you know what a holy God says to his holy sons and daughters? He says, draw near. Draw near. Anytime, any moment, draw near. There is much help. You and I often need to walk with God every day. He has all the help you need. There is much temptation. He has great compassion for you and your struggle with temptation. You have failed much. I have failed much. He has great mercy for all of your failures. None of it makes you unholy. Because Jesus has finished paying the price for all of your unholiness. Your holiness is in him as your covering. And it doesn't go away when you fail. Because he doesn't go away when you fail. He continues to be your holy covering. He continues to call you holy. In fact, your sin, this is very hard for me to grasp. It only makes you more an object of God's mercy and compassion. That's why James says, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. I'm not saying God won't discipline us. He will in his love, in his compassion. I'm not saying we don't grieve him. We do grieve him because we're his children. But God has grace to forgive you. He longs to have compassion. He has grace to clean you. He has grace to help you get up and walk towards him again. I hope these words from Hebrews 4 are familiar to you. I've said them a lot. We say them a lot here. I hope you can almost say them on your own. But hear them again. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who is ascended into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the truth we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray, with the wayward, those who walk away from him, on purpose, and those who walk away from him unknowingly, the ignorant and the wayward, he deals gently with them. So do you hear God saying to you now, draw near. I poured my son's blood out so that any time, anywhere, you would draw near. He was beaten and crushed lanced through and scourged, so that now you would draw near honor his sacrifice by drawing near don't call unholy what God has called holy he has called you holy draw near his righteousness clothes you so that you would draw near his holiness is now your covering so that you would draw near In the last two weeks, I've had two big moments with Jen. One moment was a great victory. She came angry with me about something. I responded with great compassion and patience. It blew me away. I don't know that I can ever recall responding with such magnanimous kindness and warmth to my wife's direct assault. (laughs) <laughs> I know it wasn't terrible, honey. You, if you're there listening, you, you were not that bad. But, but for my heart and what I'm used to, I, I don't react that way usually. I get tensed up and I want to defend myself. It, I was overruled by a sense of compassion and warmth. Later on, I went upstairs and I said, what the heck was that? Did you see that? She's like, yeah, that was crazy. Last week, <laughs> Last week, she must have got confidence because she tried it again. She got upset with me about something, and I I didn't respond well. I responded with defensiveness and then anger. I walked through that with my friend Mike Emlett, my counselor mentor, last week. And we talked about, he helped me see, what was my point of failure last week? It wasn't there the week before. My point of failure really wasn't when I lost it or got defensive or got angry. My point of failure was when I refused to draw near. Was when I said, I, I, there's not enough grace for me. I can't handle this. It's too much. I had no conversation with God. I did not draw near. I could have drawn near. He had grace for me. He has grace for me after I blew it. But my point of failure was before I blew it. My point of failure wasn't with Jen, it was with him. It was when I gave up on hoping in him. It was when I gave up on seeking to depend on him and tried to depend on myself and my own resources. Draw near, all the time, all the time. In the 10th plague of Exodus, when God strikes the firstborn of Egypt and his angel passes over the land. Do you remember what he does? He passes over all the houses where the blood of the lamb covers the doorposts, doorposts. You know, if you could go into those houses and, and meet those people and interview them about their lives, you would be convinced that some folks in those houses were better Israelites than other folks in those houses. Some of them would for sure have loved God more. Some of them for sure would have been better moms and dads, husbands and wives, would have loved their families more. Some of them for sure were more generous and selfless than others. Some of them were given to more sins more habitually than others and had made less progress in holiness than others. None of that mattered to God that night. What mattered to God that night was this, Were they covered by the blood? God did not look at their hearts. He was not looking at their performance. He was looking for the blood. When you and I draw near to God, he is not first looking at your heart and your performance. He is looking for the blood. Do you have the blood of God's Son over the doorposts of your life? Is His blood your hope? Is His blood your only plea before a holy God? If that is true about you, brothers and sisters, then you are holy. And God says to you, draw near, because of my precious Son. You are precious to me. Son and daughter, draw near, child draw near